I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. Aloha, Tyler. How are we today? <laughs> Doing well. I mean, I can't complain. I'm in Hawaii, and the Packers are now moving on to the divisional round. So I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that anything's bad, because nothing is. And how early was it when you watched that game? It, I'll have to say, I, t- I mean, aside from all the other reasons you might want to live in Hawaii, the fact that the game started at 1130 and then was done by, you know, 230. And then I had a second game after that was done before I even ate dinner was absolutely incredible. Meanwhile, it's dark and cold back home and here it's <laughs> sunny and beautiful and it's still light out when the game's over. It's not a bad gig, dude. I, I love it. Obviously, I spend time in Hawaii every year and I'm excited to go back. I'm in I'm in Florida right now, but I do love the fact that you you followed suit. You wore the Hawaiian shirt. I'm really thankful for you doing that just to make it feel like I'm a little bit more on island, as they call it. Um, but man, we got a lot of football to talk about. This has been besides just like all the uh, the winnings on sleeper with my entries. I'm not gonna lie. It's been a really good week. It has been the most fun weekend of football I think I've ever experienced in my life. Just the expectations of teams that I wanted to win that like no expectations to win, but they did it. And then just the way that some of these quarterbacks played, the way that these teams showed up, like it just, I don't know, man, my, my football heart is very full right now. I feel like that's real football fandom because the popular consensus was that this wasn't a great weekend of football, just with all, a lot of these games ending in blowouts. But I think if you're like the two of us and you really dig into the storylines and you have an appreciation for the implications of some of these games yeah. beyond just the scores. I, I think you can really appreciate it, but it did seem like a lot of people were saying not a great weekend of football, just given all of the lopsided scores. Yeah, dude. I, I just think like the games ended up lopsided, but they were still really good games and really good. And the other thing is like, it happened from young players doing this. It wasn't just like, like even the bills game, like they had Shakir step up, they had Hardy step up. Like it wasn't like Diggs had one of those games, right? You look at, the Packers, obviously Jordan Love went crazy. Aaron Jones, his storyline and his redemption tour this year from being having a great first week of the season, being out almost first, what, half of the year, didn't really play much until this last stretch. And now he is running them through the playoffs right now, which is insane. Then you look at the other side, CJ Stroud. You look at Joe Flacco, like Joe Flacco had this great run. CJ Stroud had a great run. Then he got hurt and it's like, ah, oh, are they going to be able to do it? They handled business. Like, there's just a lot of really good storylines, and that's what I think I care about the most right now. Of course, I'm Packers biased, right? I'm, I'm always going to have that, but there's just some good NFL scripting going on, good storylines. Hate them or love them, the Chiefs, T-Swift season, found a way against the Dolphins. Like it's Now you got Mahomes playing his first ever away playoff game in Buffalo, people jumping through tables and four feet of snow. Like It's, it's, the, it's the NFL, man. I love this shit. I love it. I know. It's like, it seems like we have some of these teams that have come up from nothing. You talk about Jordan Love, CJ Stroud, two rookies that have led their team to playoff victories in their first years as starters. And then you have these giants, you know, the, the NFC East that I know you mentioned on Twitter as being fraudulent, where you Super have playoff fraudulent. team, you, you have playoff teams that won over 10 games that both legitimately might be firing their coaches. And at the time of this recording on Tuesday, it hasn't happened yet, but it wouldn't be ridiculous to see two. 10 win playoff teams fire their coaches. So just the discrepancy and teams coming up and teams falling down has been awesome to watch. Yeah, dude. I, to that point, like I think that wins and losses as much as they are on coaches, there's like a threshold based on your roster that you should hit. And those teams, like they hit, they barely hit their threshold with how talented their rosters were. 
And I think that's why these coaches are on the super, super hot seat. Like their expectations were high because their GMs did a hell of a job getting a really good team together to go make a run in a year. And they just fumbled the bags. Both of them did. So we'll be seeing how that plays out over the next few weeks, maybe even days, but I don't know, man. I don't know. It's as much as I'm excited about the playoffs, I'm equally as excited to see like what the hell happens this off season. You have mm-hmm. the draft crazy coaching carousels. Like I feel like I'm half in half out on both of them. Maybe I'm all in on both right now where I'm just like, feed me force, feed me more football all across the board. But yeah, I'm, I'm just super excited as a fan of the sport. And I really, I feel like I was a fan of football and Madden and all this stuff in my life. that just so happened to be lucky enough to play for five years and then get back out of it. So now like even super experienced this on the backside of where, wow, I know more about the sport that I love because of my experience. Now I'm getting to like super fandom into this. It's, it's been a wild run. Totally. Well, let's not look ahead too much to the off season because yeah. we, do, we do have football to talk about now. Football. Everybody, everybody wants us to start. I'm assuming with the Packers throttling the Cowboys, <laughs> a, a game where, you know, I, of course I'm sitting here right next to a, a beach in Hawaii, just thinking like, what is life? And then all of a sudden you have a, a pick six. It's like just so many yeah. moments in that game happen where you're like, this cannot be happening. This cannot be happening. This cannot be happening. And it's incredible. I feel like yeah. I'm starting all of these Packer recaps with the same question, but I'm going to ask it again. Is Joe Barry working himself into a job for next year? And and maybe if we can get into the the nitty gritty of it, like what is he do? Like what has he changed since this Panthers game really seemed to be the yeah. tipping point to launch himself into I don't know a multi year extension at this point? Yeah, dude, I'm I'm going to say this is how I look at the Packers season, and this is just from my perspective, the way I see it. The Packers offense was up and down early in the season, really like first like eight to 10 weeks, whatever, whenever their bye week was, that's where I, really where I started to feel that shift right around the time, the chargers game, something like that. They did some self scouted bye week and they said, look, this is what it's going to take to be successful. We got to change up the offense a little bit. We got to be more aggressive on first and second downs. We have to take more shots. We have to not nickel and dime our way all the way down the field. We also have to give Jordan love the toolbox and the green light to go change plays at the line of scrimmage get into easier gimmies when they're available. And you saw like a third down, he gave a, an Omaha route. This was their signal for it to a tight end out wide, really slide, didn't even look at him. They were on the same page and it was the one route on the field that was going to be a gimme first down. And he has that ability now in his career where he is now to do that. Where in the first six to eight weeks of the season, that did not exist in that offense from what I saw. And most of the times if he was doing that, guys weren't even seeing it anyways. They weren't like tapped in. So the Packers offense, took them half the year to get to the point where it's like, all right, we need to play this style of football. This is our identity. I think the Packers defense found their identity in week 16, 17, whatever, whatever week after the Panthers, that's when they found their identity. This is what we have to do to win games. We cannot be conservative on third downs. We have to play man. We have to play man. We're going to have to blitz. We're going to have to do these things. We're not going to bend, but don't break all the way up and down the field. And we have to take shots on the ball. We have to, be aggressive and try to jump routes. Like we have, tr- we have got to try to change the game, not just try not to lose the game. And sadly it took the Packers, you know, 80, 90% of the season to do that, but damn it. Did they do it at the right time? And that's a huge shout out to Joe Barry. I think it's a shout out to Matt LaFleur too, for trusting enough that Joe was going to do what it, do what he needed to do in these last few weeks to change the course of what this season looks like. And I don't know, man, like, I would I was on the fire Joe Barry train because he was doing the unthinkable week in and week out. Like just giving free plays up. They haven't given up shit. Like this looks like 
if you did not know Joe Burry was still there, you would think it's a different coordinator. And dude, I think it takes a lot of humility to change the thought process, change your like whole entire everything because it looks like an entirely different scheme. And I love it. I love seeing it. Those players are good. And like we've said all year, the Packers defense is star studded. And we saw that against the Cowboys. Cowboys, one of the best offenses in the league, especially at home. It's a, they have good players. They're finally being put in like in consistent position to have success. Yeah. You dropped a great breakdown of Jordan love on Monday uh, that I encourage everybody to go watch, but let's talk about, we talked about Aaron Jones last week. You raved about his impact on the team. And then Jaden Reed drops a great quote this week about how he's sort of the heartbeat of this team. What is it like inside a locker room to have a guy like that? He seems like the veteran presence, which is funny because mm -hmm. Aaron Jones isn't even that old in his own right. But yeah. like, what, what does a guy mean like that to a team, especially as they're young and now progressing through the playoffs? I think a young team is always going to need someone that they can look to for answers when things aren't going well. And Jordan has been that guy all year long because he's been the, he's been that right. But now to be able to take some of that pressure off of Jordan, like dude, Aaron Jones, four straight 100 yard rushing games in the most critical time of the year, like every single game, in my opinion, has been a playoff game for them. They can, they could not afford to lose one more game. They would have been out. They've been playing in four straight playoff games, and Aaron Jones has delivered every single time. His yards after contact and his like expected yards per play are so high because he's just he's wiggly. You know he's going to turn three yards into five and six, and he is not going to go down easy. And he's also just like he's just so reliable for the explosive play when they need it the most. And he's a dagger. And when you, when you can have a running back that can serve as a dagger and it doesn't just have to come with a big pass play to close the game, like that is hard to stop for defenses. And I saw people like just railing Dan Quinn on like, well, they played so much uh, zone. Like they got out of their man. Why do you think they played zone? Because they couldn't stop the damn run. If you play man and receivers are running off and your DBs are turning their backs to the line of scrimmage on a run play, you're going to get really big gashes in the run game. They couldn't stop the run game, so they tried to find new answers, and that opened up the pass game. So, like, everything that Jordan Love has done well this year is now being amplified even more because they have a run game that they can rely on and takes all the pressure off, so he doesn't have to do it all on his own. Let's talk a bit about those receivers. For the entire season, we've, <laughs> obviously a young core. The fact that this is a young offensive group has been overstated at this point, but mm -hmm. there hasn't really been an it guy that has emerged. Dobbs obviously has a huge game against the Cowboys, do you see him as being the go-to guy or is that even required? It, it seems like we're, if it's not broke, we're not going to fix it. I'm totally yeah. okay with going along to do that. But like, does an offense like this, does a young quarterback require a go-to guy? Do you think this group requires a go-to guy or is it just okay that any given day it could be a Dontavian Wicks games or a Romeo Dobbs game, like a Jaden Reed game? Like It seems like yeah. every, every day is just a different number one guy. Yeah, I think right now this is working for them. And I think if they get a number one guy that's like the guy, I think it elevates them that much more as long as they don't just try to force feed them all the time. I do think having a Devontae Adams changes the dynamics of the offense in a positive way because then those other guys, they're not getting – like they're going to get more single coverage because the number one guy is getting doubled. So right now like what the Packers are dealing with is they're, they use Romeo Dobbs at X most of the time. They have Jaden Reed that plays some F, some Z. Like he moves around a lot, but like Dobbs is their X. And in that offense, he's going to get the deep outs. He's going to get the deep crosses. He's going to get some of those plays. As soon as they want to take him away, though, which the Pat, the Cowboys did not take him away, that's when a Jaden Reed starts to emerge. That's when like 
uh, Dontavian Wick starts to emerge. But for whatever reason, like they were not taking away the X and the X receiver in a West Coast scheme, he is going to get most of the number one reads in theory, and he's going to get a lot of the alert reads, which the alerts are like if it's if it's a man-to-man play and he has a tagged route and he's not a part of the main concept, he's going to get a peek. They just they just kept letting him eat and gave him some freebies. They dropped him in coverage a few times, so I think that's why you saw it. Is he like a is he their Megatron? I'm not going to say he's their Megatron or none of that. He's not like that type of guy, but he's consistent. He can catch really difficult balls in traffic, and he's right where he needs to be when he needs to be there. And that's like that reliability from an X is really all you need for everybody else around him to flourish. Is there an argument to be made that since all these guys are so young, they're on the same level, there isn't a clear Devontae Adams type that Jordan Love is okay having it be a Jaden Reed game or Romeo Dobbs game? And, and I, oh, I know yeah. you just explained that it's based on the it's based on the look or whatever they're getting from the defense. But in the same time, like you'd want to force feed the ball to Devontae Adams in some way. But right now, it's, it almost feels like he doesn't feel required to force feed the ball to anybody. And he's okay yeah. just letting it flow based on the gameplay like is there something to be said that maybe a number one receiver doesn't fit in a group like this they throw that balance out of whack yes i think there is a point to be made with that and i think more so than anything like i mean i don't i look at them and i'm on paper i'm like damn they they need like they need a they need some juice at receiver they don't with how they're playing like those guys like dontavian wicks romeo dobbs like if you look three four years from now they're going to be looked at probably like t higgins Am I saying that a guy like T Higgins wouldn't really help across the middle right now? I don't think it would hurt, but they, they clearly don't need it right now until I'm proven, you know, otherwise Um, they have a unique dynamic in that room. And that room is so young, like that got to be the youngest receiving room in the league. And I do think not having the pressure right now in the, in the way that this is all built in their system, there's no pressure to feed anybody, but Aaron Jones. So Aaron Jones is going to get his everybody else. Like if you're open, you're going to get it. If you're not like somebody else is going to be eaten because somebody's going to be open. So I think they have a good blend right now with what they're doing. Does how Jordan Love is playing sway. Do you think like a true number one receiver? I'll just say Mike Evans, because I know he's a a free agent this year. Mm -hmm. Do you think his play right now helps sway, you know, a potential big free agent signing that way? And and then maybe talk about assuming that that could happen this off season, which Mm -hmm. I think Packer fans would would really be cheering for what yeah. What would that do to that room like we talked about maybe some potential downsides to a receiver room bringing in a, a veteran number one guy but what are the what, what's the upside of bringing in a mike evans to a young room like this for a young quarterback like George yeah. Love? i think it's based on demeanor and like you look at a guy like mike evans who's just man been a lunch pail guy his whole career come like he fits that room who knows it might happen it might not but like a guy like mike evans would be a super green light for me to bring into the room like some other guys that is all about them as as good of receivers as they are, that might throw off the balance a little bit. Not gonna lie, but saw I think, AJ Brown saw AJ Brown thrown out on Twitter after that game. Like, yeah, like maybe, maybe not. Like, is he going? Is he generational talent? Yes, but right now, the way that the like the lifeline of this team looks, dude, I would I would be really interested in a Mike Evans or like a T Higgins, like mm. one of those two guys this offseason where like give me a big like cold weather type receiver that's not afraid to go across the middle, that's going to make Jordan's job that much easier. And I think that's like that's an asset that adds value, and they also don't have like the expectations to be fed like you know, Prime Odell did. Yeah, no, I understand that. Okay, let's flip it to the other side now. The Cowboys are in free fall, it seems like. Mm-hmm. The, the, the cuts to Jerry Jones in the booth just looking completely disheveled uh, were made me laugh, at least, in this last game. <laughs> let's start first with this Dak versus Mike McCarthy 
conversation. And I don't think it has to be an either or because as I saw yeah. maybe Stephen A. Smith said, the fact that Dak endorsed Mike McCarthy is just another knock against Mike McCarthy because Dak did not have a great game himself. Do you think one or the other, Dak or Mike, had a worse showing? Do you think it's just a combination of both of them? Like, How do you analyze their performance together or separately? Um, I don't think Dak is as much to blame as the scheme. And I think, look, McCarthy's had his go at really bad clock management. I think the plays that they ran were super vanilla. Look at the off, like the Cowboys offense is feast or famine. If they can get against D de- against defenses playing man that are less talented than them, they're going to eat. If they are playing against a defense with back defensive backs that are, you know, equally as talented Jair Alexander, you had Savage who had the pick six and a good Rob situation. Like they're, they don't eat. And I just think they beat up on the smaller guys, the the less talented teams. And when they have a team that needs to man up and they can go, you know, jab for jab, they don't do so hot. And I think that comes down to like the lack of creativity in their play design. I think that's something that on the flip side, Matt LaFleur has changed for their offense. He's been really creative. He's used more shifts and motions in the right places, right times, taking shots. Like I look at the the interception, the pick six that Dak threw. It was on a concept called Denver. It was a critical down. It was a concept called Denver, which is three slants. Like, I think it's the absolute worst play in football. And if you have three slants and you're all on the same side, all three routes are breaking at the exact same break point. You have to pick the right one and guess. And they ran it versus a coverage where Savage was a robber. He didn't have any responsibility. I don't know. I couldn't see from the angle if it was um, like 11. So like man with a, like a robber, or if it was uh, like cover three where he's just kind of a floater in that hook zone. But regardless, it's the worst, like that is the worst look for that play. In my opinion, obviously it was a pick six and it's just like, he didn't check out of it. He didn't have an answer for it. He didn't go to the other side. Like he just tried jamming it in there and it was a pick six. And I think like, again, that has been a staple of their offense since McCarthy's been there and it's always been bad. And in a critical situation, that's where you're going to like no motions, no shifts. Like you're just going to say, oh, our guys are better than yours. Okay. Yeah. Do, do you think Dak has the ability like in that comment? Do you think it's beholden on Dak to be able to elevate his play outside of bad play call or can play calling like you just described be so bad that even the best quarterbacks can't overcome it? Oh that? yeah. Oh, play call. Unless you're going to change the play. Like you can, I mean, in that situation, it was like, I think they were down two or three scores. Like they needed that first down and he was trying to get that first down where I'm like, just either give him a, a can to check to a different play. That's a beater for that coverage. Or like, he's got to take it into his own, own hands and be like, this play sucks. I'm what's my favorite play. We're just going to audible on the fly. And I think sometimes you get stuck in the process of this is the play call that comes in. Blah, 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 blah. That's the play. Get out of the huddle break. Okay. What's the coverage? Where's my answer? Instead of like, thinking two steps ahead of like, oh, wow, that's a bad play call in this situation. I got to do something different. He was just like going through the process. And I think sometimes you get caught doing that and it doesn't look good. Yeah. Another person that caught a lot of flack for this game was Dan Quinn, who you mentioned Mm -hmm. was playing a lot of zone coverage. But it seems like a lot of that was based on what the Packers were doing. And I don't want to short credit the game that Matt LaFleur called because by all accounts, it was a really good play or a really good game that that he called. But Dan Quinn taking a lot of feet, obviously, because he was a, a candidate for a lot of these head coaching openings. Do you think now he's maybe fallen back into just a coordinator role after this game? Dude, I, I really don't because Dan Quinn, in my opinion, he's a hell of a coordinator, but I think he's a better head coach than the coordinator. Like he is a leader of people, a leader of men, establishes great culture. And like, I will always vouch for him as a head coach. I think 
what people, I think this game, again, the, the Cowboys defense is not and has not been as good as publicly advertised this entire year. They have been feasting in games where their offense is leading by a lot of points and they're just feasting on sacks and turnovers and all that because the other teams are playing from behind by so much. Not often, in my opinion, have the Cowboys had to play in close games where their defense has to stop the run game, where they have to consistently tackle, where like it's I just think this game like their defense is not as good as they statistically have been like like personnel wise. Like, yes, Bland had some pick sixes and stuff, but he's been torched in man coverage all year long. Like he's he's been a liability in man coverage. He's been a liability when he's not able to jump routes and be risky because the team is not up by three scores. You know what I mean? So like, I just think this all came to a head of like, they weren't as good as publicly advertised, but the writing has been on the wall all year, very similar to the Eagles. Like, I don't know. I just think the Cowboys have been beating up on bad teams and inflating all of their stuff that they've had all year long. And their personnel defensively was not bet Like they're not a better team on paper defense wise than the Packers defense. Not even close. Sure. Like D line linebackers, like secondary, I just, I don't see it. So where do they go from here? It seemed like the stars were aligning for Dallas. You know, they thought they had the quarterback, the offensive skill position players, you know, you got these guys on defense, you know, Micah mm-hmm. Parsons, Deron Bland, who's an all pro this year, like you mentioned, what, what did they do? Like, how do you fix the Cowboys next year? Because it's clear they can't just run it back. Yeah. They, they need a new offensive scheme in my opinion that can put up in critical plays that are close or critical games that are close games right now. Like they feasted all year on bad defenses. They feasted on games that got out of hand, very similar to the Dolphins, but the Cowboys have way more talent, in my opinion, than the Dolphins do across the board. Um, obviously, Tyreek Hill is the next factor, but like CeeDee Lamb is just as well. I just think like they need to have an offense that has answers with motions, with shifts, with creating leverage based on formations and splits. Like they do none of that shit. Like they they are so vanilla, in my opinion, on offense that it's like I'm watching old school West coast and that's just like, it needs to evolve and it hasn't. So again, dude, I, if you, if you give me an offense coordinator, like Bobby Slowick to be the head coach somewhere and some of these young signal, like Ben Johnson, like these guys that are being creative, like there's a serious lack of creativity on the offensive side of the ball with the Cowboys. And I just, they need, they need something else. So I think defensively, they need a few more pieces. Um, again, I just, those teams, dude, it's the Cowboys. They're always going to have more eyes on them. They're always going to be seen as better than they actually are. They've beaten up on a lot of bad teams this year. The NFC mm. East is dog shit. And <laughs> they've been the beneficiaries of being in a dog shit division. And so have the Eagles, in my opinion. Like, so I just I think they need better coaching offensively. And same with the Eagles. They're even worse, in my opinion, offensively. But um, I don't know. That's, that's my, my true opinion on what's going on. It's just this outdated version of playing ball where you have a star studded offense. Yeah. All right. We'll get to the Eagles in a second, but first I want to talk about the Texans and the fact that they might be the scariest team in the AFC. There's, there's a couple hot teams and you know, we'll talk about Buffalo. We'll talk about Kansas city seeming to figure it out, but the Texans, CJ Stroud is playing great. They're, the momentum they have is, is crazy. And, and they, they're the beneficiaries of one of these really talented young play callers. Bobby Sloak, who you've mentioned for a lot of these head coaching openings. What do you see that's working from the Texans? And are these are they one of these teams that nobody wants to play? Yeah, the Texans are for sure one of those teams. I think right now their biggest X factor besides CJ Stroud is Nico Collins. Um, 
It's going to come down to how does Nico Collins match up against this defense. The defense is a really good defense, obviously best in the league, but he's a big body receiver. And I think big body receivers can match up well against good defenses where speed guys might necessarily not, especially when they're putting two on them. I'll know early in that game, like how is that going to go? But again, I do think that the way that that scheme is set up, it's a bad matchup for that defense. They're an eyes based defense. They match coverages. They're always like, they always have the eyes on the quarterback and that's when interceptions can start happening but they're playing against one of the best in the league and not turning the ball over. So like, this is going to be, in my opinion, this game is the AFC championship. Whoever wins this game probably has a better leg in to go to the Super Bowl. Um, because I do think the Texans are playing better football than the chiefs are. I think they're probably playing better football as a team than the bills. But um, I think we have the right four teams in the AFC right now as the top four. And I'm excited to see how it plays out. Have you done a breakdown on Stroud yet? Yes, it actually goes live sometime today tomorrow okay great i mean great plug this week but i want you to talk through now like what he's doing so well so for the people who yeah. maybe haven't seen seen it yet go watch it on on pocket presence youtube channel but quickly here what is stroud doing so well that is making him so effective and i mean they're on a tear right now yeah he dude he has the ability to flick the ball downfield with accuracy and drive it without his feet needing to be involved in the throw and he does it with this rotational torque. Like he can do it at the last second. Him and Jordan Love, honestly, I don't know two quarterbacks that are playing better football right now in the NFL, just in terms of like, like natural, like God-given talent as a passer. And Stroud's ability to stand in the pocket and not even just change his arm angle, but change his like trajectory of the arm without having to open his hips or like get his shoulder to his target, like all of that stuff is really impressive. And it's showing up time and time again. He's insanely accurate. And he's also athletic. So it's like, I'm watching him. And I'm like, he's consistently making the really, really hard throws. And it's it looks like it's with ease. So I think right now, literally just his biggest thing he's doing is he's insane, insanely accurate down the field in situations that like you'd expect his accuracy to heavily drop off. Yeah, I want to talk about this Brown situation really quickly. Question number one is, how do you, what do you make of this Brown season? It seems like they had a, obviously you paid to Sean Watson as much money as you do. Yeah. You have Super Bowl aspirations. They have a really solid defense and that seemed to carry them throughout a lot of the season. Then Deshaun goes down. I don't think a lot of people were terribly upset about it, especially as Joe Flacco started playing really well. But yeah. now you find yourself in this quagmire where next year you have to bring Deshaun back. Hard guy to root for. Wasn't even playing all that well at the end of this year before he got hurt. So two-part question. How do you feel yeah. about the Browns if, if you're a fan and how can you look forward to next season knowing that Deshaun's going to come back and uh, it's hard to get excited about him? Yeah, man, that's, that's probably the toughest question I've been asked on this. Um, I think as a Browns fan, you have to look at this year and be like, well, it was a good run and we made it farther than any of us would have ever imagined given the situation. The Joe Flacco, Lynn Sanity run was exciting, but it also had the writing on the wall with the interceptions and the turnovers well before um, it actually ended. And then you look at next year and you're like, man, maybe a full year of recovery for Deshaun hopefully does him well. Maybe having to watch someone else take his job um, and do better than he did might actually help him. Like that's all that you can hope for. And if it does not, if it does not help him, you almost got to chalk it up. Like you have to just chalk it up as the worst financial decision in the history of football and move on. Because if he plays like he did last year, next year, it's over. You have the Steelers who will probably be better next year. You have the Bengals who will for sure be better next year. 
and the Ravens will definitely be good next year. And so you're, you're hoping and praying that Deshaun Watson comes back to be the guy he was in Houston. And that's all you can hope for. Yeah. One of my favorite, it's kind of an underrated storyline going to this game. One that I know we didn't talk about was the fact that Deshaun obviously got traded from the Texans to the Browns and how much better the Texans ended up being because the full sequence of events was Deshaun wanted out of Houston before any of the massage parlor stuff came up, came out. And so the fact that he wanted out and then in return, the Texans who, by the way, accidentally won a game under Lovey Smith to drop them down a pick. So I think that was what caused them to pick second overall, which landed them CJ Stroud. Who knows if they would have taken him first overall anyway. And then they get this huge haul in return that, you know, of course includes guys like, Tank Dell, who is a huge contributor throughout the entire season, like the come up for the Texans just by getting yeah. rid of Deshaun Watson is huge. Karma. That addition by subtraction is crazy. Yeah, it was, maybe it's it karma. karma, dude. Karma hit the Texans in a good way, and I just I don't know, man. I'm I'm a believer that like doing right will lead to good things, and Texans obviously been doing something right because they got a lot of good that came their way. Yeah, I mean it's a super exciting team, and by the way, a division that we thought was going to be run by Trevor Lawrence for the next. 15 years is now looking at least a little bit more interesting. And I think yeah. you're, you're ready to make the argument, Kurt, that it's probably CJ Stroud's division to lose for the next 15 years, it not is. Trevor Lawrence's. Trevor Lawrence probably won't even be... I'll say it, dude. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to last in Jacksonville another three years if he plays like he did in this last stretch. He might wow. not even make it through next season. He, His ceiling and like natural ability of like the best that he could be is pretty high. But like his floor right now and the ugliness that he sometimes puts on the field, it's as if like he's never played football. And I I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I can't, like I watch his film and I'm like, holy shit, that was amazing. And I'm like, holy shit, that was stupid. And I'm just like, there's no in between. And I, you can't do that in the NFL, no matter how talented you are. It's it's kind of like like watching Johnny Manziel. Honestly, it's like, dude, holy shit, how'd you do that? No clue. And then you're like, oh my god, like do you have any consistency? Do you have any, like, I don't know. And it's, I, he's probably the hardest quarterback for me to read because I look at him based on talent. And I'm like, yeah, he can be that guy for a long time. And then I watch the blunders and like clock management. Like it's all like, it's stuff that you don't even expect rookies to do. And like game sense and like that it factor. I'm like, bro, just don't do the stupid stuff. And then you look like a top 10 quarterback. Like you just, if you just don't do that stuff, not even saying you got to do anything special. So, um, I, I think, what is it? Year four for him? Maybe year five. Yeah. I think he's probably going into year four. If I had to guess. Like, dude, if, if you've spent that much time as the guy getting all these reps and all this, whatever, you don't make those mistakes anymore. And like we watched Russell Wilson this year and he just did not lose games. Like he did not do things that cost them the games. He didn't turn over the ball, whatever. They won a good chunk of games that they probably shouldn't have. And I just, I think that Trevor Lawrence could watch a little bit of Russell Wilson just to know like how not to mess it up. And that might help him some. One thing I want to hear Mark, and maybe you can tell me this doesn't matter for a guy like CJ Stroud is the fact that at this point, I'm going to assume Bobby Sloak is going to be a head coach starting next year. And that's the issue when you have a defensive mm-hmm. head coach, D'Amico Ryans should be in the in the conversation for coach of the year. I think he's been awesome. Their defense has been fantastic. But the mm-hmm. issue is you have a talented young quarterback, you know, gets to know a play caller. The play caller probably elevates a bit this young quarterback's play. And then he leaves to go get another head coaching yeah. job. And then well, you're left with another guy. And I think you've seen 
you know, that's you see problem, that play dude. out. That's the problem. And so just, I want to earmark that. And maybe you're going to tell me that it doesn't matter for CJ Stroud because he's so generational that, you know, he can, he'll be good regardless of who's calling plays. But it seems to me that the more we talk, the more that uh, is just not true. Yeah, I think, I think it matters. I think he's going to be generational no matter what, but I think you might have some down years here in the like he's in year one, but that is the number one problem with having a defensive head coach. Because if like success in the NFL is so dependent on your quarterback play, like it is what it is. And look at Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson has a, I would say a defensive head coach, right? And he doesn't call plays, but he's very defensive. And they have been rotating through offensive coordinators since Lamar got in the league. And that comes with like ebbs and flows in seasons and dips in this. And like, it takes time and like, Oh, like Lamar is not playing great. Well, in like four weeks later, he starts popping off. And I think that's just part of being on a franchise that has a defensive head coach or a guy that's not the play caller as the head coach. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't think it's detrimental, but it is something to like take note of and to maybe have some lean, leniency early in seasons with him, uh, as we go throughout the rest of his career. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be exciting to watch. That division is going to be exciting to watch regardless because you still have yeah. the unknown quantities of Anthony Richardson, who showed a lot of promise, and then Will Levis, who you know was an upgrade to Ryan Tannehill at least, which maybe yeah. isn't saying much, but should be an exciting young quarterback division. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Like, Wildly enough, the AFC South is no longer the worst division in football. I agree. You'd make the argument it's the NFC East, maybe. Yeah, I would. Most fra- that's my, I mean, that might, that might be the most, most fraudulent. fraudulent NFC yeah. South is the worst division. The NFC East mm, is definitely the most fair. fraudulent. Yeah, forgot about yeah. the NFC South, which we'll get to hey, in a but second. Unless, but... unless Bill Belichick heads down there, well, you know what I mean? Oh, uh, We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Okay, but first, yeah. uh, the Chiefs uh, beat up a little bit on those on those Miami Dolphins. Your Miami Dolphins, Kurt. A, a lot to discuss here. I first want to just make the note because I think we often forget just how good Patrick Mahomes is. I think he's gone through a bit of a villain arc this year. A bit of an, un- yeah. I'll just call it an unlikability arc with some of his, you know, the, the game after the the Kadarius Tony offsides, him just kind of like showing emotion on the sideline has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, and that happens. They've been when losing so for good. the first time in his career. So it's been seeing different yeah. sides of him. And then you have a team that's been so good for so long that it's just easy to dislike a team that's been so dominant. But to that point, he, Patrick Mahomes has won his 12th playoff game, or I think this was his 12th playoff game win. And it took guys like, and it, he, he just surpassed guys like Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron yeah. Rodgers now. It took Peyton Manning until his 17th season, his last season with the Denver Broncos to get 12 playoff wins. So yeah. I think we just have to remember how good he still is, obviously, oh, how good this insane. team is, especially in the playoffs. And it seems like they were able to just turn that switch on. And I know we talked about it last week where I asked yeah. you, like, is it possible for a team to just turn it on? And how does that even work? But it seems like they figured it out and now they're just rolling again. Yeah, dude, I think uh, it was kind of like, all right, we're back where we belong. Like you, when the playoffs start, I feel like you can kind of uh, it, like just forget everything that happened in that season. And for them, they needed, it was a very forgettable regular season. And now they're just like back doing their thing. Um, I think the Chiefs too, like, this game was equally as good on Mahomes as it was bad on Tua and that Dolphins offense. And I think I'm really excited to see what is the Chiefs game plan this week for a, for a, for a team that's actually rolling right now. Like the Dolphins have been on a pretty bad skid. Um, but I think Mahomes made so many plays in that game that like continue to move the chains, like unprobable outcomes that just he found a way. Um, so kudos to him for playing as well as he has been. And he's been playing pretty well most of this like last stretch of the season. 
Um, but man, like Chiefs in the playoffs, you probably wouldn't have been able to guess. Like when we when we look like five, ten years from now, it'll be hard to remember which year that game was played in because I think the playoff Chiefs look like the playoff Chiefs. So yeah, there's just like <laughs> it all blends together, especially as yeah. you keep winning a bunch of games. What unit for the Chiefs surprised you the most? Obviously, you have Rasheed Rice having his coming out party in the playoffs, mm -hmm. finally a, a receiving weapon that seems viable for Mahomes as they hope to make a run here. Yeah. Um, Kelsey woke up a bit. This was everybody marked this as a Pacheco game and it was, and then the chiefs defense was surprising holding that Dolphins offense to you know, under 10 points. So yeah. you know, which of those groups surprised you the most, or was it just kind of this full team effort that was enough to win that, you know, that made it a good game? Yeah, it was a full team effort, but I definitely think that rice uh, showing up has been, like whether it was his doing, their doing, game planning, whatever, but like getting him involved in the explosive pass game, like they need that. They need one guy that can do that. And Patrick Mahomes was throwing dimes all game long, even on deep balls, like saw Nicole Harmon, like not be able to pull in two of them that I think if it was Tyreek would have been touchdowns. And they need a guy that can go and like get them a 40 yard chunk. And Rice is that guy and he's starting to show up to be that guy consistently. So I think Pat Mahomes is really happy that he's found him to be trustworthy in those situations yeah what i mean <laughs> nicole hardman pulling up on a couple of those deep balls was yeah. kind of wild to me is that is that like a coldness factor and i, I want to ask you how know. the temperature affects this game but like what what what's going on there and maybe how does cold impact that or maybe that was just a business a weird business decision i don't, I don't really understand it yeah dude i i don't know like i don't i can't even like wrap maybe didn't see the ball maybe he like misjudged it but like it happened a lot so i'm like I don't know, I mean, at least did you not want to get hurt to try to dive for it? But they they were within reach and I know other guys around the league that would have laid out for it. And it's just like Right. I don't I just don't think it's a good look. Yeah, there's probably a reason he was originally not re signed with the Chiefs and then was able to be gotten by the Chiefs again in the middle of the season from the Jets. But yeah. in, in any case, the game notably very cold. I think a lot of people were marking this as like, Oh, two is gonna have trouble with the cold, the Dolphins are gonna have trouble with the cold. Did you see that? And as somebody who's obviously played in yeah. Lambeau, what, what is the actual impact of the cold? Because it seems like for some teams, it doesn't matter. You know, the Chiefs are still able to put up 27 points or whatever it was. And then yeah. for the Dolphins, it seemed like that was their absolute kryptonite. Yeah, I was honestly really shocked in how soft the Dolphins run game looked. Like, I thought that Tua wasn't going to have to, like, really need to go off this game for them to be in it. I thought they were going to be able to lean on their run game, and they're just their run game looked slow. It looked soft. It looked kind of, like, worn down from the year. Um, I thought maybe they'd even get Tyreek involved in the run game a little bit, maybe some jet sweeps. like. But it just – they could never get the run game going, and it was over once that happened because Tua is – I'm just – I'm not a big believer in Tua. I think he's a good seven-on-seven -seven quarterback. When things are clean around him, when he's got – the perfect temperature, perfect weather, like it's got fast guys running wide open. I think that's where he thrives. But in playoff football, more often than not, you're going to be playing in a cold city in an away game, most likely, unless you roll the rest of the year and you're going to be faced with this every year. And I just I don't think he's the guy to get them over the hump. Um, I have not really I've not drank the two of juice much this year. Early in the season, I thought he was playing really, really good and he was playing really efficient football, but the weather around the country was very good then. Um, and I think he's really affected by the weather, clearly, obviously, after last game. But, um, yeah, I just – I think that Tua does some really things – does some things really well, like timing, accuracy, when things are clean. But when it's not – I mean, he 
I don't know, man. I just, I'm not feeling it. I know they're like committed to him, but I'm like, with how the roster is, how the defense is going to reload next year after all the injured, injured guys get back. Like, I just, you know what his ceiling is. And I think in that division where you're going to play against Josh Allen, you're going to play against Aaron Rodgers. You're going to have to play against the Chiefs at some point in time. Like, you need a guy that can at least have a higher ceiling, and I just don't see him as that guy. What do you think Mike McDaniel does here? It seems like he's – I would I would attribute a lot of to his success to Mike McDaniel and, and that scheme probably, yeah. but do you think the coach now looks outside and says, okay, we need somebody that can execute this offense a little bit better. Is there a world in which two is not the quarterback for the Dolphins next year? I think there should be. I think you can watch enough film in critical games to know that, like, Look, man, not everyone's a Patrick Mahomes. Not everyone is a Josh Allen. I get that. But there are guys that do have like that extra edge or that extra it that like can, you know, make can change a lot. And you look at CJ Stroud, like I have not seen Tua make a single throw like CJ Stroud has with dudes in his lap, like completely improbable with also having like zip on the ball. That's not like a lollipop. Like I, that's not into his bag. And so like, you're going to always have to overcoach to get to that level of like cleanness in the game plan, in the pocket, in the actual play itself for Tua to thrive. In my opinion, that's what I'm watching. And I just don't think he has like that it. You look at Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy may not have all the physical attributes, but he has it. He can scramble. He can make plays. He can move the chains with his feet. Like, and he's willing to do that. I saw Tua on a third and four where he could have fought for extra yards and he slid down and they punted. He freaking like he slid. And I just think that is not what you can have in a playoff game on the road in the cold against the like defending world champs of a few years running, right? Like close to a few yeah. years running, whatever it is. Like you I just think that sends the message of how like what are you willing to give up? And I just don't I don't see that. So um I think too is a great guy. Every every interview I've heard, every everything I think he's great. But is he going to lead them to a Super Bowl, which is the ultimate goal? I don't think he ever can. Yeah, there's a creator on TikTok that I really like. I'll shout out his name's Theo Ash. And he he brought up a play, I think similarly on third down, where the Chiefs covered it well. There's a lot of vertical concepts that were running, and it was all on the front side of him. And he had a little pressure. It looked like there was a, a backside tight end or some somebody that was releasing mm-hmm. and was going to be open if Tua could just extend the play out a little bit. But in true it seems like now to a fashion, he was just kind of like staring down the front side through the, you know, through the check down. That was kind of yep. the safe play and just wasn't able to operate outside of that scheme. And it seems like that's going to maybe be the downfall of Tua, which is executes really well in this really good scheme that Mike McDaniels has. But when he needs to fight for those extra yards, like you say, or he needs to improvise when a the bit play is to not clean. get a first down. Yeah. yeah exactly. Just like you said, right? Yeah. And that's, that's just, that's what's frustrating for me because inevitably if they stick with Tua, they're going to have some good above average years, but then they're going to waste like the really good years of what their roster looks like right now and have to go and rebuild, find a new Tyreek, find a new, you know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, go sell out right now to get yourself like, like what the, you know, it's like what the Rams had. Yeah. What the, what did the Rams do to win a Super Bowl? They sold out to get Stafford. What do the Dolphins need to do to like get to that type of lane? They need to go sell out for a quarterback. In my opinion, they, I don't think, you look at guys like Kirk Cousins, like he's going to be available. I think Kirk Cousins does elevate them. He, he's not the scrambler, none of that, but like he's willing to stand in there and deliver while getting smacked. And yeah, 
I don't know. I just they need an elevation at quarterback if they're ever going to get to where they want to go because they're not going to get eight nine yards of carry all year long and especially not in the playoffs. So yeah, I'm I'm a little that's where I'm at with this. Yeah, that that Rams comparison is really good because Goff was their number one overall pick. Literally went to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff, which is more than what Tua has accomplished thus far in his career. And they bail on him for Matthew Stafford because they you know they have an aging roster that they want to take over the top. And I think you could put the Dolphins in that same category very squarely. Yep. And I mean, did I like the number one guy that I wish I could have seen in Miami was Justin Herbert? Like, could you Mm. imagine? Like, could you imagine Justin Herbert throwing to Tyreek Hill? And they could yeah. have. They chose Tua over him. Like they yeah. straight up chose Literally Tua. Literally back to back picks. Back to back picks. They it went Tua then Justin Herbert. Crazy. And, well Yeah. <laughs> you, you're, you're you're about to do the thing now where it gets made fun of on on Twitter a lot, which is like the Justin Herbert hypotheticals do get a little crazy. And I'm not disagreeing yeah. because that one that one is very realistic where they could have just that one should have happened. The quarterback beforehand, but yeah, yeah. I Justin Herbert is uh he, he's all world in, in some of these hypotheticals. No doubt. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to the Rams and the Lions. This this swap that we were just talking about between Stafford and Goff uh, finally played out on the field. And while a lot of people were calling it a Matthew Stafford revenge game, I think this is probably more of a Jared Goff revenge game because he was the one that got ditched by his team, you know, told he wasn't enough to take the Rams to the Super Bowl. And it, it, it kind of worked out where the Rams got what they wanted out of it and probably didn't have a ton of expectations coming yeah. into this year anyway. But the the Lions, for the first time in, what was it, 31 years, win a playoff game, and Ford Field was on fire. I mean, there were yeah. tears in the stands. Like, this meant a lot to Lions It was fans. amazing, dude. It was amazing to watch. And I think, like, this is, uh, as much as this was a golf revenge game, I actually think that this was more so a City of Detroit revenge game. And the City of Detroit booing Stafford obviously when he came out like Stafford did a lot but I think I believe he also requested that trade and obviously the Rams wanted that trade the Rams sold out to go get a Super Bowl Stafford wanted to go get his I'm sorry if Stafford was on this team right now with the roster that it is they'd be my Super Bowl favorites Stafford played absolutely out of his mind and yes he has Puka yes he has Cup but they don't have that line they don't have like any of that they don't have the like Kyron Williams is good but that Lions roster is really, really good. Like, really good. And I think Stafford played the better game at quarterback. I think Golf played really well, obviously. He played near flawless from a clean pocket. Um, but I also think Golf has a ceiling, too. Like, Golf, Golf is perfect for what they have right now to go make a run. But we know what it's got to look like for them to win games. It's got to be control the clock, clean pocket, run game going, make a few stops on defense. So I think both sides won. I think as far as longevity and future of the franchise, the Lions won more. The Rams, their window is closing fast. Stafford's going to get older, but um, I don't know, man. I, I'm i very torn on this debate because I've obviously seen both sides of it. Um, right. Felt like Stafford left the city high and dry to go win a Super Bowl, which it worked. What do you make of his comments in that press conference? It seemed like people were, they're maybe nitpicking a little bit about his congratulations of it was the team instead of the, the players or organ- yeah, the players yeah. instead of the organization. Like what do you read into that? I think there's some behind the scenes stuff. Like, I mean the who's there now with the lions is an entirely different situation, organization and everything that Stafford dealt with. Stafford did not have this Dan Campbell regime like that. He had like Caldwell and like, you know what I mean? Like, 
Stafford's experience in Detroit is not Goff's experience in Detroit, and you can never compare right. the two. And yeah. that's just that. I think Stafford has a right to be like, yeah, like you guys set me up to fail here. And now like yeah. it took me getting traded to get all this haul to go load up a team. So like I feel like Stafford was essentially the sacrificial lamb for the Lions oh, to yeah, get the yeah. haul that they needed to go compete in the NFC North and now in the playoffs. So I I, I see it from Stafford's perspective. Like if they if he was not willing to be traded and them to get that haul, they would suck probably right now. Still. So he he went and won a Super Bowl. This the Lions got to load up with a freaking whole new roster from that hall, basically, of important players. And yeah, I I don't know. I think Stafford did them a favor by leaving because he gave them so much in return. Right. Lions fans are probably kind of floating right now, still after their first playoff win. Oh, and no what I assume for many is is their lifetime, yeah. right? Like if if you're a Lions fan that's yep. our age, like you've never seen a, yep. a, a Lions playoff win. It was apparently the first time you could ever text somebody that the Lions won a playoff game it's because insane. the text message had not yet been invented the last time they won. But if you were to pick a, like a kryptonite for this team, something that maybe fans should just have in the back of their head to be worried about what, what would you be concerned about for this Lion teams going forward? Yeah, dude, I would be concerned about pressure off the edge on Jared Goff because it can get pretty ugly pretty fast. If you can keep him clean and protect him, I think he's solid. Like he's he's a good seven on seven quarterback. When things are clean, he can deliver. He's not going to miss throws. Like he's in time and rhythm, all that. He's got playmakers that can make plays. If you can get pressure on the edges and collapse that pocket on him, be a little nervous. So like first quarter, second quarter of the game, maybe not against the Bucks, but the next week if they play. What does a Rashawn Gary do if they win? What does a Bosa and Chase Young do to him? Like it could be a three or four turnover game if they don't play clean. And that is what I'd be concerned about. Save this clip because it's coming down the pipeline. Well, let's not spoil their fun. They can, you know, they get a whole week now of winning a playoff game. It's always my favorite thing to do after the Packers win. Like I'm consuming every bit of sports media. And when they lose, I'm I'm a little bit more yeah. slow to the punch. Like I, I don't need to hear people like ragging on my team. But <laughs> man, when they win, like I, I want I want all of it. I want yep. literally all of it. All right, let's move on. Steelers Bills. I don't want to spend too much time on this game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there was it was basically a predetermined outcome. The Bills were something like a ten point favorite, and I think yeah. they even ended There's up not covering. A lot to cover it's yeah. Josh Allen. Josh Allen showed up playing clean football. Made a run where he kind of juked, kind of fake slid, whatever. Okay, yeah. How do you load? How do you feel about that? Because it seems like run. Okay, I'm I'm cool with the run. I'm not cool with the bitching and complaining about getting a late hit when you slid the next time when you're running a quarterback power or whatever right up the middle of the field and you late slide. That shit's not cool. You cannot play both sides of it. Like, and it's not even like it was that egregious, egregiously late of a a slide hit. Like, dude had committed as you were starting to slide. And you got hit, and like the first thing you do is like flail your arms. Yes, I know you're trying to get the flag, but I think it's a bad look when not long ago, like you definitely looked like you were about to slide and you didn't. So I think it's kind of like Kenny Pickett in that bowl game, right? Like well, they banned that, they literally banned that play. Yeah. So I'm not going to say he fully fake slid, but he definitely looked around like, am I about to go down here? All right, no, nah, I'm not. So just don't play both sides of it. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it seems like we're trending in the direction of we're going to see quarterbacks protected more on those plays but i do think especially when it comes to running quarterbacks or quarterbacks that opt to run more often like not that they should be injured as punishment but there there should be some like 
something in the back of their head that said, okay, I might be punished for the you know, quote unquote punished for this because I'm not protected the same way I am in the pocket. Yeah. I, I think honestly, dude, like you have got, if you're going to slide, you have got to slide with no one within two yards of you. There, there should be a threshold. Like there should be a safety bubble. And just like there's a, there's a box, like a tackle box, when you're throwing the ball away, there should be a, a radius around you or a circumference with a, you know, with a radius that says, if someone's within this bubble, by the time I initiate the slide, I'm getting fucked up. And yeah, if I not, like then, okay, cool. Then like that, there should be a, a measurement of initiating the slide and committing the tackle that can be reviewed at this point because it's it's pretty bad like it's these these plays are 15 yards changing the outcome of games because if you know analytically the chances of scoring um after receiving a 15 yard penalty on offense like go through the roof on that drive and i mean that's directly changing the outcome of games and putting points on the board essentially yeah or at least some sort of like subjective measurement because i think where people get most upset is like this dude is already when Josh Allen starts sliding and somebody's already going in for the tackle, like what, what is he supposed to do? And it, yeah. I even understand it in the pocket where like, you're not supposed to land straight on the quarterback, but if you're the defender, like what well, you're supposed to change your body's trajectory in the middle in, in yeah. midair, like it's physically you saw not Josh possible. Allen two weeks ago on a third and 13, lower his shoulder and break three tackles trying to get the first. So like, if you're not going to come correct, you're going to get ran over. Like that's the shit that I can't deal with, with like the league right now. It's, I just, I'm such a like proponent of like just fair calls, get the call, right. Make it fair, make, make it an evil, even playing field. We're like, okay, you think Josh Allen's running in QB power. You think he's going to run you over. I'm sorry. You don't think he's going to slide. And as a defender, like that play, I think was a broken play. It was like an RPO that he was going to throw the bubble. Then he didn't. He took off vertically right down the middle of the field. He wasn't like out of the pocket. He was vertically running downhill, not expecting him to slide. So when you, when you go to initiate a tackle, if you don't, if that defender did not initiate the tackle at the time and then he did, and Josh Allen had chose to lower his shoulder, he would have got ran over. And then we've yeah. given up a first down. So like, I don't, I don't know. What do you want him to do? Yeah, I mean, and at some point, it's like an injury thing for the defender, too. Like, yeah. Josh Allen's huge. You're supposed to just sit there and let him run you over because you don't want to be He's on the proactive the on the tackle. The field. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let, let's switch over to the, the Steelers now. The only thing I want to mention here is that Tomlin walks out in the middle of his interview. It seems like yeah. around the question of him having one more year left on his contract, do you think it's time for Tomlin to go – Given how the season went, he still managed his way to 10 wins, gets them to the playoffs. But it seems like there's something percolating. And I think it was even Najee Harris afterwards that said they need to get more disciplined as a team. And so like, it seems like these comments don't start coming out unless something's going to happen with Tomlin. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm like, I, I hope for Tomlin that he goes somewhere else because I hope he gets a fresh start. I don't think his quarterback situation is going to help him win games or go to where they want to go. And I, I'm a big believer in that you need the roster first, the coach is second. Like, that's just, that's the order of operations. If you don't have the guys, like, good luck, coaches. And so you're arming him with Mason Rudolph and Kenny Pickett in a, in a playoff game in a league where, like, you took Kenny Pickett with the, what, 15th pick, 20-something? Like, it was the first quarterback taken. Like, my biggest problem with taking a guy like Kenny Pickett is that sets your franchise back. One, not because you picked a quarterback that doesn't have a high ceiling, but two, you gave up a first round pick on a defensive guy 
or an offensive guy that does have a first round ceiling. Like the opportunity cost of taking a, a quarterback with a low ceiling in the first round is just miserable. You might as well not even have a first round pick in my opinion. It's just, I think it's mismanagement. It's not doing the coaches justice by getting guys like that and using those types of picks on them. Um, every year in the first round, you get at least one generational talent, right? Like probably multiple and right. you can get a stud DN. You like it, It's a factory, dude. The first round is a factory for stud DBs, DNs, sometimes receivers, but like you can get guys that can immediately make an impact. You're going to like, you know what I mean? Like, so taking a quarterback with a low ceiling in the first round, in my opinion, is like a cardinal sin and teams do it too often and then go say, all right, go make it work coaches. Like, mm-hmm. all right, give me, give so me a like, fourth round quarterback that has a stud receiver in the first round. Yeah. It's almost like a box checking exercise. You're like, like we've done everything we can do with an organization. We drafted a quarterback in the first round. That's what you're asking yeah. us to do. And you're like, but not this guy, no. right? Not no. this guy. Is, is there a place that you think Tomlin would succeed if he ended up going somewhere? I, I assume if he's gets fired or if he chooses to step away as the coach of the Steelers, he'll be at this, you know, yeah. Vrabel Belichick top of the list for, for a guy uh, for an organization that doesn't have a coach. So where would you like to see him go? I think he'd do well in a city that has like some sort of like edge to them. So like Atlanta, maybe the Raiders, maybe like, I think he's got to like go somewhere that has some shit to him, you know? And I think that's like his personality. So I would like to see one of those teams where I feel like have the pieces and like Atlanta is a quarterback away in my opinion from being really good. Um, but like go somewhere, then allow him to get a quarterback and go see what he can do. When he had a quarterback, when he had Ben Roethlisberger, they were really damn good. The defense was always mm-hmm. good. They found a way. They always got new guys in, new running backs, new tight ends, new receivers. Every like They were loading up, and their one constant was a quarterback for 15 years or whatever it was. Go give him a constant and go let him bring up those other guys, those receivers. I mean, if you look at the Steelers, dude, they had Hines Wards, Antonio Holmes, uh, Antonio Brown, right? Um I mean, they had, they had a bunch of receivers go through. They had running backs. They had the bus. They had uh, Rashard Mendenhall. They had, um, like, even their running backs now are pretty good. But, like, they need a quarterback. So, he will find a way to load up the team. The defense has always been good. Like, Harrison to Palomalu to now Watt. Like, they've got guys, and they always perform. Just go get him a quarterback. Go somewhere that has a quarterback. I could even see him having success in L.A. But hmm. I think L.A. is going to be locked up by Harbaugh. Yeah, I think so too. You know, bit possibility maybe he doesn't even leave the state, goes over to Philadelphia. You know, that could be oh. that could be a, a turnkey hey. fit for him. If if Tomlin went to Philly, holy shit, I didn't even think about that. He's That'd like the be better insane. version of Sirianni. Like he's he, like Sirianni's just trying to do Tomlin in a worse way. It seems like, dude, give me that, give me, mm. give me, give me that, and get a new OC, and you're cooking. Yeah, he'll get that defense cool. right. Totally. Totally. What, what do you have to say? So I'm, I'm sitting in the pool after the Steelers lose this game and I have my Packers hat on. So, you know, everybody's congratulating me, which is a great feeling. Like I was out there and did yeah. anything, but uh, I, I run into a Steelers fan. Uh, it was asking him about his thoughts on Tomlin and he goes on this whole thing, you know, really yinzer, but he goes on this whole thing about like how yeah, Tomlin yeah. inherited a Super Bowl roster, had a really low opinion of him as a coach. It, it seems like you don't feel that way, but it does seem like there is a subset and I've seen this online, not just from a random guy in the pool that thinks Tomlin is just kind of like ridden the coattails of Bill Cower with that Super Bowl roster inherited Ben Roethlisberger and has now been coasting without a lot of success in his past couple of years. Your response. No, man, it's so hard to win games consistently in the NFL. Like, and whatever he had going on has been working for them for a really long time. 
And maybe he's just really good at hiring people around him. That's a lot of head coaches don't do anything. They don't call, they don't call plays. Like some, some guys, that's their role. Maybe they're really good at getting the right people in the building, but that's still a skill. And if that's what it is, getting the guys to play harder, getting the right guys in the building and then like not letting things get effed up. So many times you see coaches F everything up, mismanage the clock, mismanage games. He's not doing that. So like he's checking boxes that other coaches are not, and he's had a long tenure of success. So I think that's, that's null and void. Yeah, that's fair. Another point that he brought up was that he's had something like, I don't know, 10 or 12 coordinators over his tenure that have since been fired, like offensive defensive coordinators. And his point was at some point you have to look in the mirror and be like, okay, if I'm running through this many coordinators, maybe it's me. That's the problem. And I, I, I don't know, maybe he's right to a certain extent, but I also think your point of like coaches are going to mess something up. The personalities that we now know have been in his locker room from Le'Veon Bell to Antonio Brown. I mean, now you have George Pickens, like the fact that that hasn't blown up in his face. I mean, you literally had Antonio Brown in, Tampa Bay, which was a pretty well-run organization with Tom Brady, and he's walking off in the middle of the game. Like the fact that it didn't happen under Mike Tomlin, that's I, a I think deserves some credit. Yeah, that's a talent. Tomlin was able to keep it together, dude. And I think like some coaches are just good at that, and that's that's like really valuable to have in the NFL, dude. You're dealing with a lot of different dudes, like a lot of different dudes, a lot of different guys from different walks of life, and knowing how to manage that and connect with them on a personal level is a valuable skill that not many coaches have. Fair, fair. Well, we wish him the best. I think Tomlin to the Eagles would be would be pretty oh, awesome. Dude, it if, would be if we got Tomlin like, to the Eagles, I might buy a Kelly Green jersey. I might, okay. I might do it. All right. I okay, you it. might do it. <laughs> would it be a Mike Tomlin Kelly Green jersey? Yep. Which which player would you C, get? Okay. Captain. Yep. And probably <laughs> number zero. Yeah, that's that'd be dope. That'd be dope. Okay. Well, we gotta talk about the Eagles, obviously, but I wanna read verbatim what our producer Roddy put to Producer Roddy, big Eagles fan, was at the game in Tampa Bay yeah. uh, on Monday. And so I, I just want to read verbatim what an Eagles fan is thinking about this game. The first bullet point is the Eagles are fucking terrible. And the sub bullet point to that is fire everyone except maybe Sirianni. The coordinators need to go. Uh, Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, and Brandon Graham deserve better. And then the last bullet point was just fuck with about 17 U's and then a CK at the end. So I don't think Eagles fans are doing well at all, Kurt, about no. this. And I don't think they should be feeling good about the organization at all. I mean, it seems like they have a long way to go. No, the the last like 15 months for the Eagles and Philly fans in general, like the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia, those fans have been through it. And it's evident. Producer Roddy, we're sorry that you've had to go through that pain. I'm not going to lie. I saw this from a mile away. Had some nice, nice bucks money line pregame, during game, end of game. I mean, it just was just hammering. And I just knew I could count on the Eagles to Eagle. And at some point you got to take off your green glasses and know that you're just not a good team. You got good players, but you're just not put in good situations. Your scheme sucks. I mean, we've all seen a lot of ball and we all know that that offensive scheme is abysmal and they are making it as hard as possible on Jalen hurts. And I can't even blame Jalen hurts because I look down the field and I'm like, where would I throw the ball? I don't know probably up, probably try to scramble. Like, I don't even know, man, because there's not many people right now that have success in that offense, no matter what type of talent they have. And they're making it really hard on the players. And it sucks because they've done a great job of loading up. Your GM's great. Your scheme sucks. Sorry, buddy. 
so do you think that you mentioned we definitely need new coordinators? You know, Roddy puts in here, maybe don't fire Sirianni. Do you think he's at all a part of this problem? I think he's become one of the most annoying figures in all of football, like his cockiness when they were playing well. And now his just like confused look. And I get the sense from Eagles fans that he doesn't even really do anything on the sideline or doesn't look like he does anything. So he just seems to be taking credit for other people's work. And then when, you know, the going gets tough, his whole shtick seems really, really annoying. Yeah, dude, I've never met him. I don't know him from anybody, but I don't like looking at him on the sideline. I just like, there's something about his like disengagement. He almost is like watching like a fan with the headset on and a red flag in your ass cheek. And he's like a fan with, I I honestly look like I'm watching a fan with authority when he's, when he's out there. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, it's obviously not working. I think they've been successful because of their roster and I don't know, man. I I think the NFL. Like, what did what? I don't even know his like background. Like, was he a coordinator? Like, what what was his like rise I no to idea. that? I can I can look into it while, while you're talking, but I yeah. I have no idea. It seems like he just kind of came up, and we talked about it last week. He's one of these guys who is he's he's like the motor. He's the motivator coach, right? He's like a a Dan Campbell, Mike Tomlin, like maybe even Mike Vrabel to a certain extent where yep. he's the the CEO of the football team. He, he doesn't actually have a responsibility of one unit. And when, you know, when things are going well, that's great. But okay. when things are going poorly, Dude. that's like, it's just so tough to watch. I got it now. So he was the offensive coordinator with the Colts from 18, 19, and 20. What the hell did the Colts do in 18, 19, and 20? They were going through all those quarterbacks probably in 18. Like that was the like you know, Philip Rivers, Jacoby Brissett. I have no idea. Like so, there's that. And then prior to that, he was a wide receivers coach, and then that was with the Chargers. He was a quarterbacks coach with the Chargers with Philip Rivers. So he's he's got the Philip Rivers connection. Mm. Offensive quality control with the Chargers in 13. Then he was a wide receivers coach and offensive quality control with the Chiefs for a couple of years wide receivers coach at IUP Mount Union coach I mean he's not fault he's not following a lot of success it seems like like the that whole charger staff got turned over dude um obviously the chiefs the chiefs and are great but I, like he, it seems like he's following a lot of staffs that have just gotten fired this is what then. I'm going to say if you if you played or if you coached with Philip Rivers in San Diego with the Chargers you cannot tell me that you're watching this offense play ball and thinking that they have the best answers to be equipped pre-snap to have success on any given play. Get the hell out of here. And so at some point, you have to take accountability for your lack of accountability on offense to put your players in a good position to be successful, to go do something about it and go make a change. And that's what I'm like, with these like motivator-type coaches where they're not calling plays, not really doing a whole lot, you have to have an area of expertise that you can also overrule bullshit when you're seeing bullshit. And it seems like his like inability to do that is what's costing them. Like you look at Dan Quinn in Atlanta when he was there with the Falcons, like when shit hit the fan, like he was like, all right, I'm calling plays like, or all right, like defensively, like this is what we're doing wrong. This is not it. Like he could always like bring down and like stamp, like, no, this is how it's done defensively. Like, I don't know how he got this job. Like, can someone, who did he know? He must have known somebody. Who did he, or know? Known so- he must have known somebody or known something. I, I do want to ask you, Kurt. Uh, Jay Gruden, the former coach of the uh, football team down in Washington, talked about 
it, he tweeted this. If I ever put a QB through what oh, Philly yeah. is putting Jalen Hurts through, I apologize. Pick up a blitz. Let, let's first take the tweet on face value. Then we can talk about some of the fallout afterwards. <sighs> you know, is Jalen Hurts, is this a case of Jalen Hurts not being good enough? There's, there's been no. a lot to say that, you know, if, if Jalen Hurts, if the tush push was banned, you know, Jalen Hurts would be working at Walmart. But you seem to think that this is a coaching issue, not a Jalen Hurts issue. Jalen Hurts is not a top 10 quarterback in the league. I'll go out and say that. But he's not bad. He has been in a miserable situation offensively the entire year, and they're not playing to his strengths. They're not giving him answers versus bad situations or bad looks. And I wouldn't want to play in that. I wouldn't even want to play in that system. Like, and I would love to play. I would not want to play with like that being what my odds are stacked up against every single week. You, when you, when you don't, I've been in this position before where you don't feel prepared for the game. Like you don't have the best answers as a team or schematically. It's a really uncomfortable place to be because then you have to rely on talent every single week. And there's other people that are played that are paid to play and they're really talented and you're going to face good teams. You're going to face really good teams when you get to the playoffs. And that's why it's been so tough for the Eagles. Like it's not all on him. So I just, dude, I, my whole thing with the Eagles and I like, I don't want to just keep beating a dead horse. Like we know their season's over. It's, it's over, but you have got to equip a young quarterback like Jalen hurts with answers. And you've got to coach him in a system that at least gives them a good foundation for how the, the position is actually played in the league. And I feel like they're playing in a bubble right now offensively and they're not playing real football. And they just, they need a foundational reset in that mm. offensive scheme. Okay. Well, let's not dwell too much on the Eagles being bad because the Buccaneers do get to move on. Um, yeah. One thing I find particularly ironic is in the same weekend that the Browns lose a playoff game because their quarterback Deshaun Watson is unavailable and then they have to bring in Joe Flacco and you know the magic runs out a little bit. The guy that they let walk out the door, Baker Mayfield, has now since won his second playoff game, which is more than the Browns have won in the same stint since he's been the league. <laughs> so, I mean, he Baker has to feel good about that just in terms of like a you know, vengeance to the Browns. The Browns have to feel a little bit bad about that. And I don't know, the Buccaneers look like they can put up a fight against the, against the Lions, maybe. Yeah, like this isn't going to just be a cakewalk for the Lions, but the Lions should win this game. But look, like Baker had the odds stacked against them. Their team's not amazing, but they went and beat a team that was on paper better than them. And he's finding success. He'll probably be their long-term answer in, in uh, Tampa Bay. And Look, dude, he threw the shit out of the ball and he played gritty and he does what he always does. And he's not, like, he's willing to sling it right, wrong or indifferent. That's how he plays football. And they're thriving with it. They got receivers that are willing to go up and get it across the middle. They got receivers that will win one on one outside and they're playing to his strengths. They built that offense and how they're play calling around him and what he does well. Something you did not see where he was before. Sure. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about some, we're going to preview some of these games here in a second, but we want to touch on some top stories really quickly, mainly in the realm of this coaching carousel that's going on. So we have Bill Belichick being interviewed with Atlanta. seems like mm -hmm. there's been reports that there is mutual interest there. What do you think of this pairing, the possible Belichick to Atlanta, maybe finally a way for them to exercise their 28 to three demons? Yeah, I think, I think this is it, dude. I think Belichick to Atlanta allows a quarterback to live like, ah, all right, I'll go there. Like, I think that helps in the free agent market. I think like, dude, if they can get a good OC, if they can get Belichick to handle the defense, they can get a good OC. They could run away with that division fast because that division's really weak. Saints just fired their OC. I just saw um, whole offensive staff. Like they're going to be, they suck anyways. The bucks kind of barely made it Panthers decade long rebuild. So Roster-wise, which in my opinion, like I keep saying, roster is the most important. 
the Falcons have the best roster in the NFC South and they have the youngest roster, the most favorable roster with cap, in my opinion, and they just need to go find a quarterback. So we'll see who they get. I've seen some rumors about maybe potentially Justin Fields getting traded down there for the eighth overall pick. Could see that. I think that would immediately like, that's it. Maybe they get a Kirk Cousins type signing. Kirk Cousins, Bill Belichick. I don't know, but I think, I think there's like, there's life. There's sign of life, signs of life down there in Atlanta. And I'm excited to see how it plays out. What do you think about Justin Fields' trade value being the eighth overall pick, especially as it pertains to Atlanta? And maybe that's circumstantial, right? Like maybe if they, maybe they're putting that out there because they want Bill to know like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do what it takes down here to get you a quarterback or, or is his value actually the eighth overall pick? I, I struggle to believe that. Um, I think that Justin Fields' ceiling is still so high and he hasn't really had a chance to go like, I don't think he's really had a chance. I don't think he's been put in the best situations necessarily. Yes, he has DJ Moore, but like besides that, who's he been given to like succeed with? I don't know. I'll tell you what he doesn't have. He doesn't have Bijan, doesn't have Pitts, doesn't have Drake London. Like they've got guys down there and that division would be a nice, a nicer, easier transition into like a longer career, in my opinion, than having to play in the NFC North for Justin Fields. So I do think that Justin Fields could play like a top 10 pick. And I think, if you're trying to win right now, you need to be able to you need to be willing to give up a little bit more for a guy like Justin Fields. Sure. We had Harbaugh interviewing with the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Seems like this is going to be the pair. I mean, this is the one that a lot of people highlighted, especially around Harbaugh's yeah. infatuation with Justin Fields. So do you think he's the fix to all of these Charger Justin woes? Herbert? Because Justin Herbert, I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you think he's the fix to all of these Charger woes? It seems like they are <laughs> it seems like they're cursed and they need a guy like Jim Harbaugh to come in and just totally change the juju. Yeah. I think, I think he could be the answer. And again, like he's going to have really high expectations and we'll be looking at this a year from now and be like, did they do it? Did they do it the right way or whatever? But um, I think, I think he gives them the best chance out of the guys available. I do think that he, as a defensive coach, like, well, I can't call him a defensive coach. He's just a good coach. He's always had good defenses. He's he's hired guys that have had good defenses, so I can't even call him that. And he played quarterback, didn't he? I think he played quarterback back in the day. He played quarterback, yeah, with the Bears. Yeah, and like I look at him, even though he's played quarterback, I look at him as a defensive coach because his defenses are always really good. And I think that's the number one thing that the Chargers have been missing forever. So hopefully he can get a slam dunk hire and defensive scheme set, get a good coordinator in, and then, yeah load him up with with a good uh, OC on the other side. And I think the Chiefs right now, the Chiefs are going to reload next year. I think the Chiefs are going to have another receiver probably that they get. Like the Chiefs are going to be trending. I don't know what the future of the Raiders looks like. They don't have a quarterback, in my opinion. And the Broncos, I think, are going to be doomed for destiny or doomed for like eternally. Um, so it's like, it's not that bad of a situation. If you're looking at a coach that wants to go into a division that they can win right now, like they can do that in that division. Um, the chiefs are not juggernauts, but they will be good. So I don't know. I, I'd like to look at it in terms of what's the coach up against to find consistent success. And I think you can do it there. One more note on the coaching news before we yeah. move on to our playoff preview, yeah. the Raiders might lose out on Antonio Pierce. This is kind of an interesting story and gets into the nitty gritty of some of these NFL rules, but there's something called the Rooney rule, which a lot of people are probably aware of where teams have to interview two external minority candidates when they're going through a coaching search, just for the sake of equity, something that was instituted by um, the Rooney's in Pittsburgh. 
And the fact that Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, has waited so long to hire Antonio Pierce means that Antonio Pierce has now gone out and interviewed other coaches uh, mm-hmm. for other teams. And they might not be able to just hire him now because they haven't gone through that process of, you know, the Rooney rule of, of, of interviewing other external candidates that are also minorities. So the fact that they waited so long to not just take the interim tag off him, because if they were to say, okay, middle of the season, you're not the interim anymore, you're our head coach, they can expedite that whole process. It's fine. But the fact that they've waited now means that the league might see them as going through a formal interview process, which means they would have to take the extra time to interview other candidates. And by the time they get around to making their decision, Antonio Pierce is the coach somewhere else, which seems possible. So it seems like he might be the best fit there. I don't know your thoughts on that, Kurt, but they could lose out on him just because they're dragging their feet, which would be the most Raiders thing to do. That'd be a very Raiders thing. And I think they'd lose out on some of their players too, because the players really love him. Um, I think it's one of those things like, dude, if you're the Raiders, you either commit or you don't. Like, I, I think you know the success they had since he took over. If you feel like you can replicate that in a full seasons of work, maybe with new coaches underneath of them, whatever, great. If not, the taste of change and being wanted out of nowhere for a guy like him, I think that feels good. And I think being wanted by other teams for what work you've put in also feels good. And you, you, if you're a coach, you kind of have that like tainted, like older regime hangover, I'd say from the job that you currently have like him, he's still going to be living under that McDaniel like cloud a little bit where if you go somewhere else, you're a fresh start, get your guys new roster. Like, I don't know, man, I don't know him at all. So I can't say which he'd probably prefer to do, but you can't tell me that like a fresh start where the, where you're really getting a full reset doesn't feel really good, especially when you're getting paid to be a head coach now, like you're no longer the assistant. Yeah, it seems like the easiest thing to do was just to have hired him based on everything I know about what's going on with the Raiders where they're already paying McDaniels and Gruden a bunch of mm-hmm. guaranteed money. You know, Pierce would probably be the cheapest option. The players seem to love him. And it seems like you're already working on a pretty uh, slippery surface where now Max Crosby has come out and said that he'd demand a trade if Antonio Pierce isn't the coach. It seems like the Devontae Adams situation is ever cooling just because they don't have a quarterback. He, he yeah. was underutilized a lot this year. So... I don't know why Mark Davis doesn't just go, hey, Antonio Pierce, we're going to smash the the team unity button and just hire him. But uh, I don't know. It, you, you never yeah. want to try to get inside the mind of Mark Davis because he's done a lot Dude, of that, that's a That's things. a wild place to be. <laughs> that's a wild I, place I, to I be. Co- I completely agree. All right. Well, I think we're going to save our preview for the next episode. So a little teaser for everybody. Tune back in on Friday. We'll jump into DFS, all the games that are coming up. We'll be able yep. to dive into that a little bit more soundly. But I mean, Kurt, any, any thoughts that we can tease the people with anything we're looking forward to this week? Yeah. Dude, I, uh, I'm really, really excited to see like, what do these reception lines look like this week? Um, I don't believe we're going to have to deal with as much weather in these entries as we will, as we did last week. Obviously we'll have Buffalo. It'll be a cold game, but you have the Ravens, which will be, it'll be kind of cold, but it's not so, so North. So there's some of that in the implication. You have a game in Santa Clara, which will be, Better weather, so get back into our receiver player props, which you see I did not do much of this week. Did not do many receptions, and we it paid off. We did a lot of rushes. Um, then who else do we have? We have the the Lions. Tampa, Detroit. Tampa, yeah. Detroit. I think that's going to be a fast game. I think we're going to be able to really eat on some of our player props in that game. So I'm looking – dude, ever since I started looking at weather first and game script and game flow, how I predict it's going to happen, I'm working backwards. We've had a lot of success, so – 
Um, going to wait to see what some of the injury report stuff looks like. And I think by the time Friday rolls around, we're going to be ready to go to drop some good entries for you guys. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun week of football. I think yeah. for us, you know, for us football heads, yeah. we, we understand that even though, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, maybe not an exciting team in the second round and the lions who haven't had a lot of history. Like these are, these are fun matchups. I think yep. anything can happen. We, we talked all year about how much parody was in the NFL. Like it seemed like any team could beat any team on any given Sunday. Yep. And especially now in the playoffs, it seems like and that could happen. Like even these number one seeds, they're not looking so safe anymore. The Packers are rolling. No. The Texans are rolling. Like I wouldn't be surprised if we sat here next week and we were without at least one of those number one seeds. I'm feeling the same way, dude. And I like, I don't know. I, I think the more vulnerable of the two right now is the 49ers. I think, the 40, and this is, look, you saw last week with the floor, they asked to get the ball first. They had the ball. They drove down. They scored a touchdown, immediately put the pressures on the Cowboys. They won the toss, won the ball. The 49ers play really well when they have a lead because their defense can pin their ears back. They can get sacks, create chaos, control the game in the run game. But if you have a team that's going to go down and get the ball first and maybe score first, you're essentially playing from behind the whole game. And that's not how they like to play ball. So there's going to be some strategic chess matches to some of these games, but I'm excited to see how it plays out. And like always, we'll be tuned in. Um, but we'll get you guys a good one on Thursday recorded, dropping Friday. And I think we will be, we'll know. We'll know what we're looking for by that time. We will. So. Plenty of QB breakdowns dropping this week. We have CJ yes. Stroud. Do we have any other ones dropping this week that we can um, tease? I might actually have to go back in and do a little Matt Stafford. I know they lost the game, mm. but I might do Matt Stafford. I think he was dealing. If I don't do Matt Stafford, I think I'm going to go back and do Baker Mayfield. Probably should do Baker, but um, okay. yeah, there, there was some really, really good quarterback play, obviously highlighted by Stroud and by Jordan Love. But, man, these quarterbacks have been not – they have nobody's disappointed in this playoff stretch for the most part. Not at all. Not at all. So, well, awesome. Cannot sweet. wait for this weekend. Dude, I can't wait either. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back soon, a couple days, and we'll be ready to roll. See ya.